We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Mani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Mani. Um, but we come now to a point in Joshua where we see that they are going to divide the land on the western side of the Jordan. And tucked away in here, chapter 14 and 15, is some pretty neat lessons, especially through the life of a man named Caleb. You know, one of the things that you'll see in the Old Testament is that God speaks to us through lives. In the New Testament, we have that, but primarily through lips. But in the Old Testament, we see lives and we see examples. I was talking to little Caleb. How many of you guys know little Caleb? He comes to the church right here and I say, hey, we're talking about you tonight, you know, because <laughs> his name is Caleb. And, uh, and Caleb in the Old Testament is one of my favorite figures in the Bible. Like Joey mentioned earlier, he wholly followed the Lord. He completely, fully followed the Lord. It says that actually six times in the Bible. God himself says that about Caleb. And when I was reading that in the book of Numbers, chapter 13, you see it again in Deuteronomy, I thought, Lord, I would love for you to say that about my life, that he fully followed the Lord, wholly, completely followed the Lord. And so we're going to see that today in our study. Uh, Look what it says in verse 1, Joshua 14. It says, These are the areas which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eliezer, the priest, Joshua, the son of Nun, And the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed as an inheritance to them. Their inheritance was by lot, as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses, for the nine tribes and the half-tribe. For Moses had given the inheritance of the two tribes and the half-tribe on the other side of the Jordan, but to the Levites he had given no inheritance among them. For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, And they gave no part to the Levites in the land except cities to dwell in with their common lands for their livestock and their property. As the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. Again, we now come to that section of the book where the tribes on the west side of the Jordan are allotted their lands individually. If you look at the book, we see that corporately the conquest had been completed. It took seven years. But now the division, the settlement, the possession takes place. And from here to the end of the book, we'll have a time frame somewhere between 10 to 14 years. From here to chapter 19, the tribes received their inheritance. And we're going to go through that probably rather rapidly. Six chapters. They all received their inheritance. In chapter 20, we're going to see the cities of refuge. In chapter 21, we're going to see the Levites who dwell in the land, but they don't own it. In chapter 22, the eastern tribes receive their inheritance on the east side of the Jordan. And then in chapters 23 and 24, we have Joshua's farewell address and his final covenant with the people of God and the Lord. And so we kind of see it almost over. Now here in verse 1, we see the people involved in the whole process of dividing the land. We have Eliezer, the high priest, is mentioned, Joshua, the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel. So they came to him, came to Joshua, there's the high priest, and they would then determine where their divided land would be. In verse 2, we see again how the land was chosen. It was chosen, look it says in verse 2, their inheritance was by lot. And so they would cast the lots. Again, we don't know if it was sticks or stones. We're not really sure what the lots were, but somehow that was how they determined the will of the Lord. And they would be there and they would get God's desire for them. You know, there's a really neat psalm in Psalm 47, verse 4. It says, He will choose our inheritance for us, the excellence of Jacob, whom he loves. You know, when we look at this, and I know, man, in one sense, it might even be tempting to be boring, you know. Really, when you read the Bible, it should never be boring. You know, if you think the Bible's boring, that's your bad, not God's. You know, because when you really begin to understand the Bible and you really begin to see how all these things are significant, you know, it helps you to understand the depths of the meaning of all these things. You know, when we look at the children of Israel and they go into the promised land and they receive their inheritance, 
It's not just about, you know, land. It's not just a physical, you know, element of dirt and rocks and rivers and things like that. What it is is a spiritual picture of us. It's a spiritual picture of you and me. What land will we possess in this life that we live in now? And another question, what type of reward will you receive when you die based on your faithfulness and your motives? You see, all these things are up in the air. What will you receive in the end? Where will you be? You know, I was talking to a guy today. I hadn't talked to him in probably 15 years. He called me up. He just got out of prison. His life is thrashed. He said, I got nowhere to live. And so he called his mom. His mom lives in Kansas City or something. She said, you know, call Manny. See what you know, the Lord can do. You need to surrender your life. And this is what he told me. He said, you know what? I'm real. I'm real now. You know what? I know what I need to do. I've been wasting my life. I've been thrashing my life. I'm real now. And you know what I told him? I said, you say you're real? Time will tell if you're real. Time will tell. What are you going to do tomorrow, next week, next month? Then we'll see if you're real. But don't tell me you're real now, especially with everything you've been doing. You know, we don't even know sometimes, huh? And that's why it's so important for us to understand that all these things are up in the air. Where will you be in the end, man? When your life is history, when you're done, when you're dead, when you get raptured, when you're on the side of time, you know, God right here, what he does is says, listen, I choose an inheritance for you. The question is, will you choose what I choose for you? Will we cooperate with God? Because we're going to see that today, especially how the Lord divided the land. And he said, Mijo, I want you to have this. But the question is, will you? Will you go in and possess the land? And that's a battle that we all have in our own life. You know, for some of you here, it means that, you know, God might call you to be a pastor. God might call you to be a missionary. You know, God might call you to be in the ministry in some way. You know, and that's part of the inheritance that he has for you. Things that he wants you to do in life. Other things to take into consideration is just the fact that you've got your own demons. You've got your own, you know, battles and mountains and giants that you need to slay. In your own life, in your own character. And some people, they die and they die without the victory over self. All I'm saying is this is what God's offering to you. He's offering to you to be a man of character. He's offering to you to be a woman of, you know, of virtue. He's offering to use your life for his glory. And that when you die, you know, the Bible says you can receive a full reward. But I wonder how many really will. And so in reading this right here, it's kind of cool because we see it's not just about land then. It's about life now. It's not just about Joshua and Judah and the tribes of Israel. No, it's about, you know, us that are here today. And that's why when we read the Bible, it's so important that we really, really take these things to heart. Here we see Joshua and these guys are dividing the land. They use lots. In verses 3 and 4, we have once again an explanation of uh, some of the details of the division. Now, again, you know, the reason there's only nine and a half tribes mentioned here is because two and a half tribes received their inheritance already on the east side. The Levites received no inheritance. And so you wonder, well, then how's there's 12 tribes? Well, the way that it works out, and we see it explained there in verses 3 and 4, is that Ephraim and Manasseh, they were children of Joseph, they took the two spots representing Joseph, now receiving the right of the firstborn, the double portion, whom Jacob had blessed in Genesis chapter 49. What had happened? Reuben lost his inheritance. Reuben, through his disobedient life, lost the right of the firstborn. Again, a lesson for us. You guys, God will forgive us of our sins. I thank God for that. But there is consequences for forgiven sin. And we really need to take that into consideration the next time we desire to go into sin with eyes wide open. You know, it's one thing when you trip, man. It's one thing when you stumble. But it's one thing when you know exactly what you're doing and you still go into it. And we learn lessons and thank God for his grace. And sometimes it doesn't always happen that way. But man, sometimes God will then strip you of what he wanted to do in your life. Reuben lost his inheritance of the firstborn. Joseph received it. Ephraim and Manasseh, his sons, were then blessed through their father's obedience. And so now they begin to what? To divide the land on the east side of the Jordan. And... Um, and we see that the first tribe to come is Judah. 
And the representative for Judah is, of course, Caleb. And so look what it says in verse 6. And then the children of Israel came to Joshua in Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he has said, these 45 years. Ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, 85 years old. As yet, I am strong this day, as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. Caleb is cool, huh? This guy is cool. 85 years old. And what does he ask for? He asks for the mountain where the biggest giants are. It's amazing when you look at his life. You know, there's so much packed into this, you guys. But I wanted to focus on four things about Caleb that I think uh, are important. And I think that we can even take to heart in order that we may live a life and finish life even as Caleb did. We see a lot of good, but there's four lessons that pretty much stand out. Number one, Caleb was a man of the word of God. He was a man of the word of God. Notice again what it says there in verse 9, in verse 6, you know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. He comes up to Joshua and Joshua, he says, Joshua, you were there. We were there. You know the word which the Lord spoke. And for 45 years, Caleb stood on the word of the Lord. Caleb never forgot the word of the Lord. It brings him now to the age of 85 years and he's still standing on the word of the Lord, knowing that it's a sure foundation. You see, what had happened back then, you guys remember the story, most of you here. In Numbers chapter 13, what had happened was Moses sent the spies into the, into the promised land. He said, what I want you guys to do is I want you to go in there. I want you to check out the land. And I don't think it was necessarily to see whether or not they could have victory. Basically, it was kind of a, a spying uh, in order to develop maybe a strategy, so to speak. And so they go in there, 12 spies, one for every tribe. But what ends up happening is they go in there and they see giants in the land, you know? Have you guys seen, like, for example, I don't know, some of the Lord of the Rings, some of the big guys, you know? And imagine if there you are and you're a hobbit, you know? And so you go in there and you're, man, I'm just a hobbit. You know, there's no way that we could win against them. Well, when you take God out of the equation, that's the way it is, you know? They never mentioned the Lord. And so they came back, 10 spies gave a bad report, made the hearts of the people melt, right? And they said, we can't do it. There's no way we can do it. Let's elect another leader. Let's go back to Egypt. There's no way we can do it. And as a result of that, those 10 spies gave a negative report and the hearts of the people melted. Now, Joshua and Caleb, they were two spies that said, you know what? There's, there's no hesitation. There's no reservation. We can go in right now. The Lord is for us. You know what? Their, their history why? Because they had faith. They wholly followed the Lord. They put God in the equation. You know, and some of you here today, maybe you're facing some things that 
You know, whatever it is, and it is a variety of challenges that we face in life. When you take God out of the equation, you know what? There's no hope. And you're going to freak out and you're going to be frustrated and, and you're not going to have any peace and you're going to try to start doing things on your own flesh. You're going to become a Jacob. You're going to become a manipulator and a conniver. Right? But when you put God back in the equation, what you do is you end up focusing on Him and you realize that there's nothing too hard for the Lord. You see? And that's exactly where Caleb was. He came back and they gave the good report. And so when the Lord saw it, the Lord says, this guy Caleb, this guy Joshua, their spirit is different. They really believe. And so the word of the Lord was to them that they would have the land. Look again in verse 9. So Moses swore on that day saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever. Now I love this. And we're going to see this later that Caleb not only receives the land for himself, but I think the thing that's even more important is that he's able to pass it on to his children. You know, and when you're here, and you guys know how it is, for those of you who have kids, for those of you who are parents, you know, you love your children, and you want the best for them. And you, what you find is that when you have the character of Caleb, you will make a difference in their life. We're going to see later that Caleb's daughter actually, you know, approaches him and asks for land and she asks for springs. And, and it's like she developed the same faith that her father had. And that's what we see here, Caleb, in hanging on to the word of God. It enabled him to be a man of God who fully followed the Lord himself. You see, he knew what the Lord had said regarding him. Look again at verse 10. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive as he said. See, the Lord told Caleb, I'm going to keep you alive. And so there's Caleb when he goes through 137 battles and there's swords swinging all around him. But he knows I can't die because God said I can't die. And he goes through it again. You know, uh, it's been 45 years now. And it's like, man, the word of the Lord is true. And so now his belief in God's word is even stronger. It reminds me of 2 Samuel twenty-two thirty-one. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. It really is proven, you guys. You know, when you study the word, and you begin to put it into practice and you begin to live the word of God. What you find is it is true. It's crazy how some people in the world today, they think that this Bible is old and old fashioned and out of date. And you know what? It's because they never read it. It's because they don't understand it, huh? But when you read the Bible and you realize, man, God's way is radically awesome. God's way really works as husbands and wives and parents and kids and workers and everything. It's amazing. You know, maybe you're here today and you you don't have any peace. Well, I'm telling you right now, if you pray, you'll have peace. Philippians chapter 4, 6 and 7, it talks about that. I've tried it. You've tried it. And we have seen that the word of the Lord is proven. You know, one of the best, uh, I think, bits of advice for us as human beings is uh, over in James where it says, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, right? For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. How many of you here today have gotten in trouble because you spoke the wrong thing? Because you said something that you shouldn't have said? You know, it just, boom, it just kind of came out. And you're like, oh, I ruined my life, you know. <laughs> I ruined this day. And now she's mad at me. Now he's mad at me. And, and then you read the Bible and the Bible says, well, yeah, duh. <laughs> Set a guard over my mouth. Lord, don't let anything come out that's not, you know. It says that the tongue is like this rudder that it steers the whole ship. It's like this bit that you put in a horse's mouth that tames this mighty horse. If we can get the tongue right, you know, we can live life in a way that is absolutely so amazing. And, and basically what we see is that the word of God is proven. Joshua had seen that and he became an individual that was strong in the word of God. He fully believed the word of God. Numbers 14.24, my servant Caleb, God says, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. 
You see what a blessing this parent was to his children. Why? Because he fully followed the Lord. You see, when we read the Bible, we need to remember it. But in order to remember it, we need to hear it. We need to read it. And that's why it's so cool to see you crazy people coming out on a Thursday night. You know, if you weren't here, a lot of you here would probably be home watching TV, huh? I mean, how much of a waste of time is that? Seriously. You're like, oh, you know, you know I don't know. He's got these crazy shows on, on TV. You know, you're watching a baseball game, okay? And every once in a while, I guess it's okay to watch a baseball game. But really, how does that build you up, you know? I mean, are you really going to learn how to throw a screwball by watching that guy throw that? Are you going to learn how to hit? I mean, what really, you know, benefit will that be to you? Or whatever. A lot of these other shows, they're very entertaining and the special effects and the science and all that kind of stuff is crazy. You know, but really, what, what good is that to you? You know, but here you are on a Thursday night. It's not just a Sunday, but it's a Thursday night and we're studying the Bible together. I'm telling you this, man, that when that's your heart, your Lord, you're like, Lord, teach me your word. You will benefit from that greatly. And that's exactly what we see here. We need to read it and then we need to remember it. Don't be a forgetful hearer. You know, Caleb had remembered for 45 years. How do you think he remembered for 45 years, you guys? By meditating on it, by contemplating it. There's no doubt in my mind that's how I remembered it. You know, because 45 years is a long time. That's how long I've been alive for 45 years. It was 45 years later that the word of the Lord came to pass. And you know, you guys know how it is. How many of you forgot what you ate yesterday? I mean, our brains are thrashed, right? Before we were Christians, we used to drink and do drugs, and a lot of times there's ramifications to that, you know, and other things, you know. We forget. But as we meditate on the word of the Lord, and I'll bet you that he went to bed, man, every night thinking one day I will receive the land that I walked on and my children will receive it as an inheritance. And they said it again the next day and the next day for 45 years. He remembered because he meditated on the word of God, you see. And that's what happens as we're in the word on a daily basis, you know, God will give you the promises that you need to possess. But you're not going to remember it if you don't read it, if you don't study it, right? Jesus said in John fourteen twenty six, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I've said to you. But see, before he can bring it to your remembrance... We've got to hear the voice of the Lord. We need to study, meditate, and contemplate. To read the Bible and reread it. You, know, you talk to husbands and wives. You talk to people in life. And you know they're going through problems. And they're going through struggles. And you just ask them some real simple questions. Have you been reading your Bible? You know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that the Word of God will help us in all our problems. So you ask me, you've been reading your Bible, you've been spending time with the Lord, you've been praying, you've been in fellowship, real basic things. But as you read the Bible on a daily basis, you know, it'll bless your life. How many of you here eat every day, just out of curiosity? You eat every day, right? Because you need it. Well, we need to feed our soul every day as well. Woodrow Wilson, President of the United States at one time, he said, I'm sorry for the man who does not read the Bible every day. I wonder why they deprive themselves of the strength and the power of the word of God. Don't deprive yourself. Be like Caleb. He was a man, number one, of the word. Secondly, he was a man who waited on the Lord. He waited on the Lord. Again, imagine waiting 45 years, you guys, wandering in the wilderness. And in all reality, you were not really the one to blame. Talk about, you know, taking one for the team. You know, Caleb waited for that, uh, that period of time. Remember, they had spent two years receiving the word of God. They actually wandered for 38 years. And then for seven years, there was a, a battle going on corporately. So he waited a total of 45 years. We need to wait on the Lord, you guys. Waiting on the Lord is absolutely vital for victory. 
know, a lot of people, unfortunately, they have that natural tendency to do what? To go ahead of God. They can't wait. We live in a microwave society, you know, chop, chop. I want it delivered here and now. And a lot of times people won't wait. They won't wait on God. Either that or they give up on God. They lose heart. They lose faith. And as a result, kind of like King Saul, he's a really good example of a man who would not wait on the Lord. He would not wait for Samuel to come. He would not. He could not wait on the Lord. So God stripped him of his kingdom because he didn't wait on the Lord. See, that's how important waiting on the Lord is. In the end, what did he lose? He lost his crown and he lost his calling. Now, maybe you're here today and you're thinking, well, that's me. It's over. I'm going to you know, just give up then. You know what? I don't think that's the attitude that you should have. Don't look back. There's nothing we can do about the past. But look in right now in your heart and look forward. And all I'm saying is from this day forward, be a man of the word, woman of the word. Be a man and woman willing to wait on the Lord. Stay in step with the Spirit. Don't be behind. Don't go ahead. As you wait on the Lord, you find that God will do a great work. You know, even William Shakespeare said, How poor are they that have not patience? What wound did ever heal but by degrees? You see, we've got to wait on the Lord because good things take time. Augustine said, patience is the companion of wisdom. And so we get that wisdom and God gives us the wisdom, you know, what to do, you know, the application of knowledge, but you wait on the Lord and you do so patiently. One guy said, patient waiting is often the highest way of doing God's will. You know, because a lot of times we think that, you know, you know, you know, being a good Christian is, you know, doing something. And, and yeah, you know, it is in one sense, but sometimes that doing is actually just waiting. And when you wait on the Lord, it's not like, you know, you're like, okay, Lord, you're looking at your clock. I'm waiting, you know. It's not like that. You're not tapping your foot wondering, okay, my child has been, you know, three months now, Lord, they're still not saved yet. No, you know, you're waiting on the Lord with eager expectation and great anticipation. You're waiting on the Lord, confidence in the Lord, confidence in Him that He will save the day. You see, and it's important for us to understand that. The Bible talks so much about waiting on the Lord. Uh, Psalm 25, verse 1, it says, Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. You want to be a person of integrity? You want to be a person of character and righteousness? Then wait on the Lord. You know, I was talking to my son this, about this the other day, and we are talking about how David... He just waited on the Lord, man. It's amazing when you study the life of David. You know, and he did nothing wrong, but Saul was jealous of him, and so Saul went after him. And there's King David, this amazing warrior, this guy that loved the Lord so much, on the run. We don't know for exactly for how long, 12, 15 years, but imagine that. But when the opportunity came for him to kill Saul, he didn't take matters into his own hands. And he could have done it. He could have justified himself in doing it. But he said, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to let the Lord do it. And he waited on the Lord and he became the greatest king of Israel. See, you wait on the Lord, you guys, and you let the Lord do the work. Psalm 27, verse 14 says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You know, it takes courage to wait on the Lord, but that courage will strengthen your heart. You know, we have even more good reasons to wait. In Psalm 33, verse 20, it says, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. And especially relevant to Joshua today is Psalms 37, verse 34, where it says, Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. And isn't that exactly what we're talking about today, you guys? Inheriting the land. You just wait on the Lord, man. Eager expectation, great anticipation. You have faith in the faithfulness of your Father. God is honored by those who really believe in Him, you see. 
And so we see Caleb. Number one, he was a man of the word. He was number two, he was a man willing to wait. Number three, he was a man who walked. He walked with God. You know, it says that he wholly followed the Lord. Numbers 14.24 says he followed me fully. We see it again in Numbers 32, verse 12. And back in Numbers, it was God who spoke. God said, this guy right here, he fully follows me. The NIV says he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. The New American Standard says he followed the Lord, God of Israel, fully. And that's where we need to be as well. You know, to really, truly, totally follow the Lord. It's holy. It's heavenly. It reminds me of a passage, if you want to turn over to Revelation chapter 14. This is really cool, man. I mean, I know this isn't necessarily us. You know, this is something a little mysterious in heaven one day. But in Revelation chapter 14, look what it says here in verse 1. John says, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name, written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the living creatures and the elders, And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. And so 144,000, you know, um, maybe they're the Jews that proselytized during the uh, tribulation kingdom. We're not sure really. But what we see is that these guys right here, they have the father's name written on their foreheads. And what we see is that they're playing a new song. Check it out. These people are so, I guess you could say, sold out, special, surrendered, that they sing a song no one else can sing. Okay? These people are really, really blessed. But look what it says in verse 4. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. You see, when you look at these right here, these 144,000, you realize, man, there's something special about them. You know, there's something about them. They're just completely committed to God. And in the end, what do you find? You find that these are individuals who what? Who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Now, honestly, you guys, is that a description of your life? Is that truly a description of my life? Can you honestly say that you follow Jesus? Do you check in for marching orders? Do you hear his voice? Do you really truly follow him? That's what Caleb did. It had something to do with the word. It had something to do with the way. It had something to do with the walk. When you think of one's walk, you think of one's moral journey. Not talk, walk, life. He wholly followed the Lord. And that's where we need to be as well, you guys. Our walk must be holy, following the Lord wherever He goes. And that's really what Christianity really is, simply following the Lord. A lot of times I think we complicate it. We do. I know I do sometimes, you know. It's, it's not real complicated. You know, follow the Lord. Wake up in the morning and spend time with Him and listen to Him and He'll direct you. You know, you read the word and you learn what life is. You learn how to make good decisions because then those decisions make you. You follow the Lord, right? That's very simple. You guys remember what Jesus said to Peter in John chapter 21, verse 19? You guys remember? He said what? Follow me. Very simple. You know, you go to college and you get a degree, how to be a pastor, and they'll tell you 157,000 things. They better tell you this. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. It's back to the basics. Follow Jesus. I remember one time I went to a pastor's conference. And it was a really cool conference. It was Alistair Begg. He put it on. And it was a a real, real basic conference. It's called Back to the Basics. And it was all about following Jesus. And then the next year we went again. And it was the same conference. (laughs) It was Back to the Basics. And we're like, hey, that was what it was last year. And yeah, we need it again, you know. 
back to the basics. Do you really have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Or you just say you do? That's how important it is to be able to really say that. I heard his voice today and he told me to do this. And, and you know what? You're reading the Bible and you really have that passionate relationship with him. You know, Peter and John, um, when the Lord told him to follow him, it says, and Peter turned around and he saw John and they asked the Lord, what about this guy? And what did Jesus say? <laughs> you guys remember that? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remains till I come, what's that to you? You follow me. Don't worry about the person next to you, the person on the side of you, in front of you, behind you. It doesn't matter. You and I, we have a simple responsibility to fully, wholly follow the Lord. You know, we read those words 19 times in the gospel from the lips of the Lord. Follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. And a lot of times we get it complicated. Well, how's a Christian? I don't understand. It's very simple. Follow him. Yeah, but I mean, he's not here. I can't touch him. I can't feel him. What are you trying to say? That you don't have a personal relationship with him? Man, I hope you do. Because if you don't have a personal relationship with God, then you don't know God. And it's just a religion. We have to fall on our knees and really ask him to speak to us. It's about the walk. Psalm 1, it talks about the one who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits in the seat of scornful, nor stands there, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, what does he do? He meditates day and night. Back to Joshua, learning from the life of Caleb. We see he was a man of the word. He remembered it, man. We see he was a man who was willing to wait on the Lord. We see he was a man who was willing to walk after the Lord. And we see finally that he was a man who was a warrior for the Lord. He was a warrior for the Lord. And not only was he a warrior for the Lord, you know, some soldiers, you know what they do? They kick back and they just defend their their ground. Okay, I'm going to defend it, right? And that's cool. There's times to do that. But there's other soldiers that go forward, right? There's other warriors that go and gain ground for God and his glory and their good. And that's the type of soldier that Caleb was. Notice again what he says right here. It says in verse uh, 12, Now therefore give me this mountain. (laughs) He says, I'm as strong today as I was back when I was 40 years old. He had eaten all of his spinach. He would work out. He was related to Ray Navarro. All these things, right? (laughs) 85 years old and still as strong as he was when he first started. You know, and I don't know if that's going to happen physically, But man, I pray that spiritually we'd even grow stronger and stronger. You know, here we see this guy, a great warrior. And he and what does he do, man? He he takes the advice of Woody. He reaches for the sky, man. I mean he just really says, I want this mountain and I want this place where all the giants are. You know, we gotta be careful, you guys, that we don't lose that passion. Proverbs one thirty two it says, For the turning away of the simple will slay them. And the complacency of fools will destroy them. Some Christians are complacent. They do not want the mountains. They want to play it safe. And the complacency will destroy you. We don't realize that playing it safe is the most dangerous place you can be. We need to go and grab the mountains for God and believe in Him, even though there's giants there. You know, there's more to life, I think, and a lot of times we settle for. I remember this old song by Crystal Lewis. You guys got to hear this. It's a beautiful song. But it's called For Such a Time as This. And let me read it to you. It says, I built my house here alongside this mountain, this rugged mountain that stands so tall. I've had a good life above the lowlands. It's more than I've asked for, but it's less than I dreamed. I've often heard a voice call down to me. If you'd climb higher, you'd find wondrous things to see. But the way is steep and the storm may come. For such a time as this, isn't it much too great of a risk? I've never flown from the edge of a cliff, neither walked on water. But if I turned away, how would I know what I have missed? Have I waited all of my life? For such a time as this. 
Now there's a mountain. There's more. And I think like Caleb, we have to have that heart that says, Lord, I'm willing to go forward. You're here today and you're thinking, no, I'm too old. It doesn't matter, man. You know, here we have an example of a man that was 85 years old. Last week we touched on the fact that Joshua was 100 years old, right? I was reading through Pastor Chuck's uh, commentary on this and he said, I pray that I will have the spirit of Caleb when I am his age. He wrote that about seven years ago. Today he's 85 years old and Pastor Chuck has the same spirit. I think of John Stott, who wrote his last book at the age of 89. I think of John Walvoord, who I heard preach in 1997 at the age of 87. Biblically brilliant, sharp as a tack. And so we need to make sure that we don't come to this point in our life, no matter how old we are, we think we don't have the capacity to get the mountains for God, or we think that we can now retire and put it in cruise control. Because in looking at this, we see that we can Caleb says, I believe God wants me to have the mountain or at least die trying. Look again what it says in verse 12. Now therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there, those are giants, and that the cities were great and fortified. It says, it may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. He wasn't necessarily a name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. But he had a lot of faith. And he said, you know what? I'm going to try or I'm going to die trying. Maybe God will give me that mountain. See? It's a beautiful, beautiful example for us. We see then in verse 13, it says, And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite to this day. Why? Because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron formerly was Kerjath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. And then the land had rest from war. And so the Lord chooses your inheritance. But we cooperate with the sovereignty of God the responsibility of man, and then we possess and enjoy our inheritance. It's a really, really cool thing. And so in chapter 15, this is what it says. So this was the lot of the tribe of the children of Judah according to their families. Okay, now we're going to go through this. And again, I'm just going to read through this, you guys. If you want to get more insight on this, listen to Chuck Missler. He'll tell you all about this stuff, okay? The border of Edom at the wilderness of Zin, southward, was the extreme southern boundary. We're going to see they describe all the details in the southern boundary. And their southern border began at the shore of the Salt Sea from the bay that faces southward. Then it went out to the southern side of the ascent of Akrabim, passed along to Zin, ascended on the south side of Kadesh Barnea, passed along to Hezron, went up to Adar, and went around to from there it passed toward Asmon and went out to the brick of Egypt and the border ended at the sea. This shall be your southern border. And so there he gives all these geographical locations regarding their southern border. And then in verse 5 it says, The east border was the salt sea as far as the mouth of the Jordan. And that's it. You know, that's their east border. Boom, right there. It says in the border of the northern quarter, began at the Bay of the South Sea at the mouth of the Jordan. The, war, the border went up to Beth Hoglah, passed north of Beth Arabah. The border went up to the stone of Bohan, the son of Reuben. Then the border went up toward Debur from the valley of Achor. It turned northward toward Gilgal, which is before the ascent of Adumim, which is on the south side of the valley. The border continued toward the waters of Enshemesh and ended at Enrogel. And the border went up by the valley of the son of Hinnom, to the southern slope of the Jebusite city, which is Jerusalem, the border went up to the top of the mountain that lies before the valley of Hinnom, westward, which is at the end of the valley of Rephaim, northward. And then the border went around from the top of the hill to the fountain of the water of Naphtoah and extended to the cities of Mount Ephron. And the border went around to Bela'ah, which is Kerjath-Jerim. And the border turned westward, from Bela to Mount Seir, passed along to the side of Mount Jerim, 
on the north, which is Chesalon, went down to Beth Shemesh and passed on to Timnah. And the border went out to the site of Ekron northward. Then the border went around to Shikron, passed along to Mount Baalah, extended to Jabnil, and the border ended at the sea. And so, man, you have a lot of descriptions regarding the northern border of Judah. And as I mentioned to you guys last week, for us, this is the thing to remember. This is your border. These are all the places that God wants you to possess. Don't miss out, but don't pass it. These are your borders given to you by God. The west border was the coastline of the Great Sea. This is the boundary of the children of Judah all around according to their families. And so it's so cool when you see the Lord gave them their inheritance. Look what happens next in verse 13. Now to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a share among the children of Judah according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, namely Kerjath Arba, which is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak from there, Shishai, Ahiman, and Talmai, the children of Anak. And then he went up from there to the inhabitants of Deborah. Formerly the name of Deborah was Kerjath Sefer. And Caleb said, He who attacks Kerjath Sefer and takes it to him, I will give Aksa my daughter as wife. And so Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it and he gave him Aksa, his daughter, as wife. And so there you see Caleb, you know, getting some land. Now he comes to this last place. Okay, this is the last place, right? And what ends up happening is he says this. He says, okay, you guys out there, any of you guys that can win this land, I will give my daughter to you. Okay, question. Why didn't he just win it himself? Could he have done it? Oh, absolutely. Nothing could stop Caleb, right? Because he had the Lord on his side. But why is it now that he says, okay, you guys out there, whoever wins this land, I'll give you my daughter. Why is it? It's because he's looking for a husband for his daughter, right? That's what he's doing. He says, I want to see which of you men out there will prove yourself worthy to be a husband to my daughter. And I love that. And he says that I want a son-in-law like me. <laughs> it's basically what he says, one who really loves the Lord. And I think that is so cool. You know, in those days, they had the prearranged marriages, which we know is way better, right, than the way they do it nowadays, right? Parents picking their, you know, their children's spouses, I think it's an awesome idea. But here we see them, not when they're little, when they're older. Which of you guys will prove yourself? Othniel did. Later he became the first judge in Judges chapter 3. Really incredible guy. Really neat guy. And then he had a good daughter too. Because look what it says right here. In verse 18, Now it was so when she came to him that she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. And so she dismounted from her donkey and Caleb said to her, What do you wish? And so rather, it's kind of cool. She's a good wife. Rather than just going to her dad and say, hey, dad, can you give me this land? He says, she says, she first goes to her husband. Is it okay if I ask my dad for this? You know, really, really neat story there. And so it was, she goes to him. And in verse 18, now it was so when she came to him that she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. And so she dismounted from her donkey and Caleb said to her, what do you wish? And she answered, give me a blessing since you have given me land in the south. Give me also springs of water. And so he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. He gave her the fields and he gave her the springs to water the fields. She had. Why? Because she asked. Again, a lesson for us. She was like her dad. She had faith, we see, like her dad. Really, really cool story. For us as parents, you know, you want to you wanna pour into your kids, you know, and so what do we think? Okay, well, I'll just slap them around, man, you know. I'll beat them into submission, right? No, let me tell you something, man. It takes a lot more wisdom than that. It takes holiness to be a good parent. It takes faithfulness. It takes the character of a man like Caleb to really be a good parent. And you're there, and you're that example. And what ends up happening, man, the Lord blesses you. And, you know, of course, your kids have to make that decision themselves. But, man, don't be a hindrance to them. Be a help to them. God will honor that. The rest of the chapter is a whole bunch of cities. 
which basically in one sense I describe your life and my life. This is what Manny did in his life. One day we're going to stand before God and who knows, maybe they'll read the list of all the things that I did for the glory of God that were not marred by my motives of selfishness and righteous, you know, self-righteous ambition. Maybe one day there will be a long list, you guys, for us in heaven about how we really, truly live for the glory of God and the good of his people. I know this, man. I want to live for that. And you can read all the cities later, man. It's just a whole bunch of cities, okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to be here, Lord. I know, God, this is not just a church service. It's not just a midweek service, Lord. I know it's an opportunity for us to fully and totally surrender our lives to you, Lord. To know, God, that you are so gracious, that you are so gracious that you have given us another chance. You've given us the freedom and forgiveness found in the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we come to you today, Lord, just asking that you do a great work. Father, we pray that tonight as we leave, that the power of your Holy Spirit would come into our life and all the challenges and all the things that we have within us and around us, Lord God, would be faced, Lord, with your power and your might. Lord, I know there are people here today who probably do not know you. They are not saved. They are headed for hell. God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation and they would desperately cry out for the Savior to come into their heart. Lord, I pray that today, I know there are some Christians here, Father, who have been living in rebellion. Lord, I pray for them. Lord, help us. Lord God, I pray today to take courage in the example of Caleb. Lord, to be men and women of the word, willing to wait. Father, willing to walk after you and to war for you. God, I just pray that we all here today would have that same testimony of Caleb. He wholly followed the Lord. I pray, Lord, you do that work in us. I pray you wash us and cleanse us. Lift us up, dust us off, give us a big hug, and send us out into the battle with your strength. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626 454 3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.